I'm sure you've heard the phrase, you can't change other people, you can only change yourself. Well, it's not true. And in fact, if you're a leader or a manager, it's your obligation to change other people, to help them become better at what they do. And if you just care about the people in your life, then it's your longing to help them change in ways that support their own growth and development and become the best people that they can be. So in my new book, which is now available for pre-order, I wrote it with my friend Howie Jacobson. It's called You Can Change Other People, The Four Steps to Help Your Colleagues, Employees, Even Family Up Their Game. We talk about ways of becoming an ally instead of a critic and to help people make the kinds of changes in their lives that make their lives better. You can get it wherever books are sold. To find out more, go to bregmanpartners.com forward slash pre-order. I hope you get the book and I hope it helps you to have more effective conversations with the people in your life. Hello and welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman and I believe that the best leaders don't try to do it alone. As the CEO of Bregman Partners, my mission for over 30 years and the mission of this podcast is to help successful people like you close your leadership gaps, grow as leaders, and inspire your team, inspire all the people around you to get great results. We are lucky to have a very different kind of podcast today. Usually I have people on this podcast who have written books or have, you know, led sizably huge companies. And, and today I want to have this podcast be less about ideas that were written up in a book or researched and more about the story of a person. So Brad Baugh is here with us. He is a very close, dear friend of mine. He lives in Savannah, Georgia, and I met him when we were, my wife and I were living in Savannah. And he uh, has a very interesting story. He, he basically built his real estate company from, from nothing to a, a sizable uh, holding now. And more than that, he's built a life that is both interesting and engaged and satisfying. At the point at which we're talking with him now, he owns you know, a, a bunch of pieces of real estate. He, he and I together are partners in a real estate company that we've developed. He also owns a uh, grocery store in Savannah and, uh, and there's more. But I, I wanted to share his story and I wanted him to share his story because too often I think we look at these sort of celebrity stories and for the majority of us, myself included, we're living much more normal lives. And what does it mean to be successful in that kind of a life? And I look at Brad as someone who I think is incredibly successful in, in that life. And, you know, as, as he said to me, uh, you know, one way to think of it is he has bought and sold hundreds of pieces of real estate and for the most part has not lost money on them. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's continued to grow, uh, to grow and do well in that and also in his life. So, you know, without further ado, Brad, welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thanks for having me, Peter. Thanks so much for being with us. Okay, so I really want to do this as a different kind of podcast, which is to take a walk through your life and to look at the decision points that you've made and how you've made those decisions and the struggles and challenges and successes that you've had. 
So let's start with your early life and move kind of quickly through that. That's just sort of like, you know, the origin story of Brad Baugh. And then, and I want to get to the Savannah piece fairly quickly, but I think, uh, but I, but I want to start at the beginning, right? Which is that you grew up in, in a suburb of Virginia. Uh, yeah, my father was an FBI agent. So we lived in uh, Virginia outside DC and he commuted to work and I did suburban kid stuff, played soccer, went to public school. And uh, when I was 15, he took a job in Arkansas, which is a giant change and lived there for six years, uh, finished high school and some college and um, decided I was going to take a break from college, moved to Key West and became a scuba instructor. And, and let's pause here for one second. I'm curious about your decision to leave college, to leave college. And you didn't go back. I believed that I was going to go back. Uh, uh, at the time, I was majoring in accounting. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. There was no major entrepreneurship or whatever. There was, you know, accounting, economics, et cetera. Everybody said, well, get a degree in accounting. That'll be the best business major to be set up. But I didn't want to be an accountant. I didn't like accounting. And it kind of got to the point where it was like, well, need to make a decision and thought I would take a break and think about it. And moving to Key West was probably not a good move to dig into academics, but I definitely dug into life and, and learned a lot of things that shaped me today. It is interesting thinking you need to be an accountant to go to be an entrepreneur. I went to business school, as you know, and uh, of all my classes, the one that I like, and I did pretty well, but I almost failed accounting. And the only reason I didn't fail accounting is because I made some smart aleck comment at some point and the accounting professor threw a piece of chalk at me and it hit me in the eye. And I think he felt so badly that he hit me in the eye with his piece of chalk that he passed me and otherwise sort of should have failed me. But one piece of advice that I often give people, and you're a great example of this, when they say they wanna to go to business school and they ask me for my advice around it, I say, what do you wanna do? And if they say they wanna be an entrepreneur, I say, look, business school is gonna cost you a couple of hundred thousand dollars. So instead of going to business school, take $100,000, put it in the bank, take another $100,000, start a business, do everything you can to make it successful. But even if you fail, which, you know, in some ways I hope you do because you're going to learn a lot by the failure as much as you would by the success, but, but do your best. At that point, you will have learned way more about entrepreneurship and you still have $100,000 to spend on your next business. And, and, uh, and you kind of followed that advice without my, I mean, I, not like I gave it to you, but, but it's, uh, you wanted to be an entrepreneur and, and you decided you weren't going to learn it in, in college taking accounting. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd always thought even as a young kid, I had all of these ideas when I was high school age, I didn't know how to execute any of them, but real estate made a lot of sense. You buy a house. <laughs> You rent it out for 30 years, and at the end of the 30 years, you have a free house. And obviously, it's a whole lot more complicated than that, but it does it does work. Yeah, um, and I actually think it really helps to to keep it that simple. Like it it is. I mean, it's complicated because there's complications to it, but I love the way you just described it because it, you know you can really wrap your head around it. Okay, let's back up for a second. You went to Key West. You were a scuba diver instructor. And, and then because as you said it, there were tons of scuba diving instructors uh, there. So you didn't get paid very well because there was a high supply, uh, uh, a lot of supply. And, and so you also worked at night as a bartender. Yeah, I basically, uh, I, you know, I moved there having been a college kid and 
you know, I knew how to study and whatever, but I didn't know how to work. I didn't have a work ethic. I didn't know how to be a good employee. And I had, you know, you have to pay rent and you learn all those things. And being in the restaurant business, the bartending and waiting tables in particular, you, the harder you work, the more money you make. And it's a really good lesson to be an entrepreneur. You stay late and take a few more tables and make a few more dollars. And the things that you do, those little nuances do affect your pay. And it, it, it's good training. I, I, I think everybody should do it. It's great. There's immediate feedback. If you're, you know, if you are, are good with your customers, you make more money. If you are not good with your customers, you make less money. Yeah. I, I was certainly a little bit shy and didn't really know what to say and to stand in front of a table of 10 people and have all of their attention. You learn to kind of be on stage a little bit and, and certainly came in handy when I moved to Savannah and took a, you know, took a different job. I moved here and was in the restaurant business for a little while, but then ultimately got my real estate license because I felt like that was sort of the, the, the direct, you know, the way to get into real estate to understand the lingo would be to, to, be selling it. And, you know, instead of working all night and making a hundred or $200, you get very busy for three or four months and make more money, but it's still the same thing. You're pleasing your customers and all of that. Why did you leave Key West and go to Savannah? And it felt like I'd gone as far as I could go. And I, maybe I was a little short-sighted, but you know, I, I was 26. I had no money. I had no likelihood of borrowing it and Key West had gotten very expensive. So my plan was to go find another Key West. And I figured there must be dozens of cool little cities out there that had, you know, cheap real estate and charm. But I looked all, you know, drove the whole East Coast two different summers and didn't come across anything that really hit me. And, you know, Savannah seemed sort of like this black and white backwards Georgia town in my mind after, you know, Key West and how kind of cosmopolitan and European feeling it was. But found a deal in a house and the mortgage payment was half of what I was paying for rent. The space was twice as much. And, uh, I'd take a chance. You know, it's interesting because I'm list, I'm, I'm going to try to continue to glean lessons uh, from what you're saying, but it's it's like if you if you took a bird's eye view of your uh, or maybe the opposite, if you took a narrow view of your life, you're like you know you're bartending and scuba diving and you're out there in Key West, and then you decide to move to Savannah, and and but one of the things that I'm hearing is that as you're living your life in whatever you're doing, you are constantly thinking about where is this leading and what might be my next move? Don't let me put words in your mouth, but I, I, I hear that in your story. And I know that a little bit from your life also, but I'm curious whether that resonates, whether that's true or whether you were just, you know, totally opportunistic. Um, no, I definitely, I mean, I don't know how long I thought about Key West and, you know, how long it took me to decide maybe that the opportunity was not there for me. Most of the people that I look to for inspiration in Key West were 10 years older, had gotten there earlier, had started businesses and owned a house and had all of the things that I want wanted, but I didn't feel like I could afford to buy a $300,000 house at the time. And you know, a lot of the folks that stayed there did the same thing I do here in Key West, but you know, I felt like the, the, all of the numbers, the barriers to entry were a lot lower here. So took a long time thinking about it, but ultimately after two summers of traveling around, hit upon this place. And, and yeah, I do, I am, I do operate that way. And I'm not one of those people that makes snap decisions. I, I think about things a lot and I take you know, the past and the future and whatever I can to make a decision. So. Okay. So you moved to Savannah and your original goal in moving to Savannah was to open up a restaurant. Mm, yes, that was kind of the only business that I knew. I wanted to own my own business. So that was 
yeah, and the, my girlfriend at the time had a lot of expertise and, you know, we looked at a lot of properties and ran the numbers in the, at least the rudimentary way that I knew how to do it at that time and kept coming back around to, we could open this, own this restaurant for years, but if we don't own the building, it really doesn't work out so well. So I thought, well, maybe we should concentrate on the building. And, um, and that was definitely a part of it too, but I didn't think it was going to be the central piece of my life here i thought i'd own a restaurant and maybe on the side invest in you know real a little bit of real estate but and i love that i love that idea where you want to open up a restaurant and you look at the numbers and you look at the numbers what it would cost and you're like i it would be better to be on the other side of this deal like 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 i uh um you know i've definitely seen seen moments like that and and so you pivoted and you you decided okay i'm going to go into real estate was it daunting like, was it, did it, how did you wrap your head around, okay, I'm going to start investing in real estate? Um, I mean, I guess the short answer is it wasn't scary at all. I was, I was sure what I was doing was going to do well because I'd seen what happened in Key West and I saw the potential in Savannah. Um, but I was also borrowing money and if I knew if it failed, it would just, I'd go back to what I was doing. I mean, I, I don't know what would happen to the loan or what the outcome was, but I just thought, you know, if you don't take a chance, there's nothing's going to happen. And I was sure I was going to succeed. I love that. I love, I love the, I like, I think there is a lot to be said for some level of excessive confidence at the beginning of a venture and like not knowing everything it takes. Like if you, you know, it's uh, it reminds me the, the leadership intensive I run um, one of the main comments people say is, had I known what we were going to do over the last four days, I never would have come. And it's the best thing I've ever done in my life. And I think those two things always go together. You have to sort of be willing to leap a little bit uh, and, and take a risk and not necessarily know what the outcome is, but know that you'll be okay if it doesn't succeed. I, def- I mean, I had a couple of mentors. I had this one guy who was younger than me. He was 23 or four and had a ton of property in Savannah already. And he would come into the bar and talk to me and give me advice. And um, I would ask lots of other people for advice. And one, I think one of my favorite compliments about myself, uh, a friend of mine who was an architect said, Brad asks everyone for advice. And then he takes their advice. <laughs> and it's not so simple but a lot of people ask advice and then they go and do what they want to do and maybe right and it's maybe wrong but i i talked to people who i thought knew and i took their advice and it definitely worked that's great every origin story and hero's journey has has some uh some scary setbacks and so this wouldn't be interesting if not for early early on you end up with a number of lawsuits and a surprise package yeah. Um, so yeah, I got my real estate license. I done my first real estate deal. My brother, father, and I went on a duplex. My brother and I almost killed each other. And um, during that time, I got a phone call from an ex-girlfriend who, uh, not the most responsible person, but you know, long story short, said, I've got this kid and he's yours and you need to get involved in his life. <laughs> and what were you feeling in that moment? Terror. Uh-huh. Uh, mine, I, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, I've got a, a, it's a terrible analogy, but at the time I felt like I was coming out of the closet when I realized that I had this kid that I needed to tell everyone that I love, there's this giant piece of my life that you don't know about. And I have to share with you now. 
I don't know, I guess I got over the initial shock and it just became, you know, part of life pretty quickly. You know, I dived, dived right in. Um, I'd, I'd realized that, that I, if, as much as I wanted the situation to just go away and not and go on with my carefree and exciting 20-somethings life, I didn't have a choice but to get involved and, and, and be in my son's life because he needed me. Yeah. And that's a big decision. And I'm curious if it like how in the midst of the terror and this sort of sense of coming out with like, okay, I've got to tell all these people who, you know, and you had a girlfriend at the time. That, that year was basically the year everything changed. I went, I started the year as a bartender with, with a girlfriend that I thought I was going to be with forever. And we broke up. I got, you know, into two different real estate deals and things went well, but didn't go well. Well, you know, the contractor that I was using didn't pay everyone, ran out of money, ran out of town. Of course, I was there still with property. So the subcontractors all sued me. And so every two or three weeks, I was getting a lawsuit from this person or that person or the person suing me for child support. So it was, uh, was a quick growing up that year. I definitely learned a lot. And I'm sorry, broke up with my girlfriend. I'm, I'm going to ask you a super strange question, um, but for some reason it's coming to me. And I'm wondering if you think back on that year fondly. Um, it was the hardest. I mean, it was the only, I mean, I'd had hard years before, but they were nothing. These were real adult problems. And I, you know, while I had pretty strong faith that I was going to be fine and that the, you know, I was in the right place doing the right thing, that there was a, there was a lot of fear. I didn't know what the outcome of all these things was, was going to be. And certainly I didn't know what, how to be a father. And all of a sudden I've got, I'm, a, I'm the father of a five-year-old. Brad, do you have a sense as to where your faith that everything's going to be okay comes from? Like you've mentioned it a couple of times in this conversation. Like I just knew it would be fine. Uh, like, where does that come I, from? I don't necessarily feel that way about everything all the time, but at that time I felt like I'm in the right place. I should not have been with that person anymore. Our relationship is not working. I believe that the real estate projects that I was doing were going to be successful. I really didn't have any choice about getting involved with Matisse's life. So I felt like I was making the right decisions and then going to the right place. Um, and so I just had no choice, but to keep moving forward. Right. Um, now you made a massive decision with Matisse, who's yeah. obviously your son. Like we didn't, we didn't say that outright, I don't think, but you made this obvious decision, which is to say, I'm going to both take responsibility for this. And also, I don't think the situation that he's in is, is safe or healthy for him. So I'm going to actually take custody in a sense. Um, I mean, you know, at the beginning, I just, tried to get to know him. I would go and visit and I became aware that his mother was possibly abusive and tried to do the best I could. And ultimately, you know, as time went on, the opportunity arose. He came to visit for Thanksgiving and I realized, you know, through talking to his teachers, my son's teachers, that his mom was not in a good place. He came for Thanksgiving and she said, well, why don't you keep him until Christmas? And I thought how absurd this idea is that he's got school and then he's just going to skip school and be here. And then I realized, oh, she's in trouble and he just needs to be here. I've been preparing for it for a long time that eventually she would not be able to handle it and that he would move here. And then as suddenly as I sort of found out about being a father, 
he moved here and I suddenly had him living here and put him in school and you know that whole chapter began. He came for Thanksgiving and he stayed for three years. That's right. And so you started out that year, maybe hopeful. In the middle of the year, you've got three or four lawsuits. You've got real estate projects that are going awry. You find out you have a son that you didn't know existed. You, um, and then you make a bunch of decisions about moving forward, but with a sense of, you know, hopefully this is gonna work out. Uh, and and, and this, is my, this is my question for you. There, there's a way of operating in the world where you look at the outcomes you want and you say, okay, these are the outcomes I want. And so I'm gonna to work towards these outcomes. And there's another way, and maybe there, there's a mix, of facing situations and saying, I don't know what the outcomes are going to be, but I know that this is the right way to act in this moment, that this is the right way to show up. Do you understand that distinction that I'm making? Uh, I can see it as a business or a personal distinction. Yeah, but exactly. Yes. For both. Great. So I'm curious, like where you were operating from in that moment. And maybe it's both. Maybe it's, you know, like I, it uh, doesn't have I mean, to be a dichotomous decision. You know, with, with Matisse, I had no choice. I, I got to a point where there was no other choice and I didn't know what to do. Uh, I remember one of my first visits, his mother was living in Northern Florida and I would take him to the beach. That was kind of like what we do. I'd come for the weekend and we go to the beach and like the, we were leaving the beach one day and I did that thing where you kind of open the car door and quickly put a towel, take a bathing suit off, put some dry on, get in the car. And I look over and he's seen me do this, but he's not real quick about it. And all the next thing I know, he's his bathing suits around his ankles. He's fallen down. And I realize that whatever I do, he's going to watch, he's going to emulate, and that I'm going to have this huge influence on his life and how really important my presence is. And, you know, I, even at that point, I didn't know, felt like I knew how to be a father or what I was doing, but I just had to keep going forward. Wow, it's beautiful. All right. So, so you get through that year at the end of this year, you have, you have Matisse and I guess you've moved through the lawsuits or maybe that took a couple of years, but you've gotten to the other side. No, of it was pretty quick. I mean, most of them just wanted money and they wasn't, you know, I had to pay them. I had to come up with the money and it was, it, it worked out. And, you know, in doing that, I kind of found new projects. And I, you know, I took on as much as, I mean, I'd spend 40 hours a week whenever I wasn't, you know, with real estate clients, I was cold calling or talking to people trying to find properties to buy and sell. And, um, having seen the paper equity that was created in the first project, even with the lawsuits, I still managed to create, you know, more than a year's worth of income and paper equity on a project that lasted a year and didn't take 40 hours a week to work on. Obviously it could have gone bad and I could have lost it all, but ultimately I started doing more projects and there was, as I've, you know, said, I felt like there was some kind of, I'd made a hard decision in life and some, somebody out there said I should be given some reward or given some success. And I definitely felt like I made that decision and life completely opened up a, a lot of the troubles that had, you know, dogged me in that year went away and, and, you know, I found a lot of successes in the, in the years after. And you continue to grow your real estate uh, business. You do historical renovations in Savannah. You and I have uh, a partner together and brought in some investors. And we have a number of apartments in, in Savannah having done the same thing. You have a management company now that manages uh, those apartments. Tell us about Kristen. 
Kristen was my first tenant. And, and it always sounds a little creepy when you, when you say that. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was with the girlfriend at the time and, um, you know, I'd been living in Savannah for a while and I, there was a lot of things I liked about Savannah, but it didn't have that kind of weirdness, that excitement that Key West seemed to have. I, you know, I was still felt a little bit like there were things that I was missing. And when I met Kristen and Kelly, who, who later founded The Bean, um, I knew I wanted them in my life and it didn't occur to me that it was going to be my life partner and forever, but um, I knew I wanted to have a relationship with them and I still do. And the bean is the sentient bean, which is the coffee shop in Savannah, which by the way, anyone listening to this, if you go to Savannah, you have got to go to the sentient bean. Uh, and you may find Brad there, by the way, uh, reading the New York Times early in the morning, having breakfast, probably of eggs and beans. Um, and, uh, and actually, this is something else I want to say about you, which is that I know from my own experience of when we met and, and other people that you've met in Savannah, you have sort of an insatiable uh, a desire to connect with people and to find interesting people and to, to be in conversation with them. Your point of like, you actually ask a lot of people for advice and you know you distinguish yourself in your being someone who actually takes that advice. But uh, what you're describing with Kristen is also sort of how we met. And it's sort of the way you, you, you know, I've, I've noticed at least that you engage uh, in life. So you fast forward a bunch um, you and Kristen recently, I guess this year, or last year, bought the uh, the health food grocery store right next door to the Sentient Bean. Brighter day. Yeah. Kristen has owned the Sentient Bean for 20 years, uh, almost. And uh, we we wondered about Brighter Day and we had heard through a friend that it was could be for sale, was for sale. And we were worried about what might go there. We, you know, we felt like it was our grocery store. We lived almost next door and would buy everything that we just about everything there and we didn't want it to go away and we talked a little bit about it and said well let's find out what what is this going to be like what what are the numbers could we do this and ultimately decided that we could and that it would be a good good asset to the bean a lot of synchronicities around uh, consolidating things and, and ordering so we closed the business and or, or purchased the business and Two months later, the COVID outbreak happened and we were terrified. And, um, but ultimately it, it turned out fine. Lots of people needed food and you know, the business has been around 42 years. It's got a lot of great folks that came with it that are, that are still there. And you know, we couldn't, couldn't have done it without them. And um, yeah, year and a half in, it's, it's, it's been a good decision. Yeah, and I, I love, again, I, I just want to keep pointing out these things that I'm hearing, which is your, your decision-making is so multifaceted that you're, you're both looking at, does this business, you know, like, would we want to own this business? But that's also coming from this motivation, not just of the finances of it, but of your neighborhood. And this is our grocery store, and we want to maintain the community. And I know that that's true of Kristen that you're, you know, like you have this sense that is not unidimensional of like your life. And yes, you want it to be successful financially. And yes, you want to be successful. You guys now have like, you know, collectively 90 employees. Uh, I think if I'm, if I've done the math right, I might be. I might not be quite right. that many, but yeah, it, brighter day did come with a whole bunch of new people and that that was definitely a learning curve you know it was it's bigger than both business in terms of employees 
uh, put together my, my real right. estate business, Kristen's Coffee Shop. And like you, you your, your decision-making isn't, I know everything I need to know to make this thing successful. It's, I, I, I'm motivated to, to work on this and to make it successful. And I, I want to, I don't know enough about it. So I'm willing to learn and get advice and et cetera, but I know enough that I want to take this risk. Like I know enough that I want to take this risk. I recognize it's a risk and, and, uh, but I think the reasons for taking it are strong enough. And there's a lot I'm going to have to learn in order to make it successful. I mean, the grocery store, I definitely was leaning on Kristen. She'd done a lot of similar work with the bean and, we, we felt like between her, the staff and me, we'd be fine. And there was definitely that, that beginning part where the, the owners were there for the first two months and then they were gone. We're like, is this going to keep working? We, you know, I watched the bank account very closely and it, you know, they kept being stable and slowly growing. It wasn't, and it was, there were a lot of like ups and downs, but if you look at it across time, it, 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 it was doing what it was supposed to do. The models that we had a business consultant run said, you know, do this. And while I was a little afraid at first, especially with pandemic and the size of the payroll with all the, you know, 40 employees that we can't carry this very long if it does, if people don't keep shopping, but they did. And the community kept coming to the store for all the reasons they always have. Right. It's great. So now I'm curious um, where you are now when you think about your future, Brad, like your, your, your life is comfortable. You've been successful in these ventures if you've taken risks and you know, you're in your mid uh, early fifties, not your mid fifties. You're early. I'm very in early. 50s. You're in your very, very early fifties. And like, what, what's on your mind? Like, what are you, what are you thinking about? Um, you know, that's a good question. I, I've, I've never been one who had long, long-term planning or like near-term planning, two year, three year, four year, five years. You know, when I moved to Savannah, I imagined that I would, and a lot of people have that. I think you hear that real estate dream. We're going to buy some real estate and then just quit working. And, and you don't think about what happens when that happens. But, but, you know, I don't necessarily want to quit working. I don't want to retire. I, I could probably stop and not do anything and sit on the porch in a rocking chair. Um, but that's not what I want to do. Now, what do I want to do? That's a, that's a harder question. But I do like being involved in the grocery store. I continue to like to do real estate projects and I, you know, I'm still, maybe I can't turn it off because I don't want to do as many as I used to do, but I do still want to be involved and, and I've gotten involved in some boards here and, and, and other involvement with a community that is kind of new for me in the last five years. It sort of felt like nonprofit work was such a slow moving thing. I didn't have the patience for it, but when you have a breakthrough with, with a group like that, it's different than having a real estate deal go well and having that, that kind of excitement. It's right. So there's a lot of things. Well, Brad, it has been so fun having you on the Bregman leadership podcast. And, and for those of you listening, like, first of all, go to Savannah because it's a great town. Uh, and when you go, get coffee at the Sentient Bean and do some grocery shopping next door at Brighter Day. And, uh, and, and you will be uh, enriched for it. Uh, you'll like, I, that's certainly what I do every time I go to Savannah. Um, Brad, it's been so fun and it's inspiring to me. And, and I'm so thankful for our friendship. So thank you for being on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thanks, Peter. Likewise. Thanks for listening. 
Here's what I've learned from working with some of the most successful leaders of the most successful companies. Every leader, every team, and every organization has a leadership gap. If you want to become a leader who inspires your team to get things done, then you've got to start by raising the level of your leadership abilities. You can start by taking our free leadership gap assessment at www.bregmanpartners.com forward slash quiz. Then dive deeper with a copy of my latest book, Leading with Emotional Courage. For more ways to become a truly great leader, check out our online offerings, in-person workshops and events, and my articles at www.bregmanpartners.com. Again, thanks so much for joining me today, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.